it's never about the money. My grandfather used to tell me, why do you need more than you need? And that's a big, big question to deal with. But once you have that answer, you live a good life. The only healthy way to live is to serve your way through stress. As an entrepreneur, as an employee, as a parent or a spouse or a child, and stress mm. is inevitable. The cause of stress is usually we're afraid of failing, we're mm. afraid of rejection, we're afraid of risk and the unknown. In 2014, my wife, Diana, got diagnosed with leukemia. It was a battle a couple of years and then went to remission and we were thought we were good. We hit the five year mark and it was like they say, if you get the five years of remission, you're in good wow. shape. Right as COVID was hitting, which was bizarre, the leukemia came back and it took her. And so my mom calls me and says, hey, Auntie Sarah wants me to ask you one question. I go, what's that question? Because, well, do you trust God? And I paused and I was like, yeah, okay, yeah, I trust God. And then my mom said, okay, here's the word, trust God. And then she hung up. We somehow have told ourselves, especially as Americans, you know, I need to be successful, I need to be significant, I need to be in control. Those are all good things. And I'm gonna say, no, they're not. If there's no problem to solve, you have no value. Everybody's got a small problem and they want you to fix it, or a small group of people have a big problem and they'll spend money on that. So your innovation is anchored in solving somebody else's problem. Yo, yo, Holy Hustle Podcast. Welcome back to the show. This is the first podcast of the new year, and I'm so excited to have my good friend Tim on the call. How are you, Tim? I'm doing great, man. How are you? Good, man. I, I, I uh, about 15 minutes ago, went to go grab this oh. cup because, <laughs> yes. um, because hopefully by the time this airs, hopefully by the time this airs, the Niners would have beat the Packers. That is the goal. That's who we're playing this week. Uh, do you have any predictions, any worries about, because we both share. We love, love the Niners. We the love Niners. the Niners over here. Um, I, I think we're going to do well. I think I think it's like all the hype that went about how, and, and God bless you, Dallas Cowboy fans, but everybody talked about how well you were going to do in that game and how amazing it was, and then it didn't go that way. I, I think that's going to happen to the Packers. Now, that's just me speaking mm. purely as a fan, not as an NFL insider, but I'm, I'm, going, I'm going Niners all the way, and I think it'll be a, I think it'll be a snoozer at this end of the game. That's my, that's my, that's my hope. I hope, I hope, you're, uh, I hope you're right. I was so excited that the Dallas Cowboys re that didn't fire Mike McCarthy. <laughs> actually, <laughs> I, I was think actually a really smart thing. Yeah. Well, no, I think he's a good coach. I think he's a good coach. However, I don't think he's, I don't know. He had some big issues in, in, in the end of the year, last year, last few games. And so, um, so I, I think you're right. You know, they won a Super Bowl, right? He won a Super Bowl yeah. with, with yeah, Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. And so, uh, so anyways, I, um, you know, and then Harbaugh, our, our, our old coach Harbaugh might come to the, he might go to the, yeah. the chargers. Is that, is that it, the chargers? Is that what they're talking about? So they're talking about the chargers. Uh, I mean, it's LA it's out of all the teams that need a, a coach that have the best quarterback. I would say it's Justin Herbert for sure. Mm. Um, Allegedly, they're supposed to announce that Belichick is supposed to go to the Falcons, which is weird. That's an interesting choice. What? I, yeah, they've who, got good I, ownership, but maybe that's what he's looking for. He wants the that's ownership probably relationship. What he's, that's probably what he's looking for. Um, don't have the team yet, but maybe some core, some young core, core guys. But uh, we share a love uh, for the 49ers. We actually met um, a, a little over... No, actually about 10, 11 years ago. Yeah, it's been a decade. You were on the least. board, right? You were on the board of I Northwest was on the board University. of trustees. So the, the, the Northwest University, uh, I'm an alum, and uh, they had two boards. They had a board of directors and then a board of trustees. And the board of trustees were more the business board for the school, and I was on the board of trustees. Yeah. Yeah, and everyone that talked about Tim Ohai was like, it, it just like there was this reverence there oh was gosh. this like, dude, this guy, like if you, you're a business, you're a business guy, Alejandro, you got to meet him. You got to meet him. And like everyone just hype, hyped you up. And um, they, they all just loved you. I, I got a chance to hear you uh, speak in 2012 or, or 13. Um, and I loved that we were in Seattle. The school's in Seattle and um, you were, you were hating on some, uh, some Seahawks fans. <laughs> Which I which I loved. I love. You were giving some folks some hard times. This is before they went to the Super Bowl, so no one was really a fan back then. 
<laughs> I was so, so my Seahawks fans, thing. I'm so sorry. <laughs> when I was in when I was in Seattle for college in the '90s, it was all Mariners. Mariners great. No one cared about the Seahawks. Yeah. And then I go back. Yeah. I fly up for this for this meeting, and all I do is see these. You know, I, I start seeing twelve flags everywhere. And everybody's into their Seahawks, but nobody's talking to the Mariners anymore. I'm going, how bandwagon is that? So apologies, yeah. Seattle. Um, uh, yeah, I'm we, sorry, I love sorry Seattle. not sorry. Sorry, not yeah. sorry. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, not sorry. Um, when it comes, that's the only thing, Tim. I, I, I think um, I'm pretty level-headed for the most part. You know, people cut me off, you know, whatever. Like, I'm not going to have road rage and, you know, run after people, whatever. But if there's if there's my pastor text me a couple like a month ago and we lost, and I remember who we lost to. And he's like, because uh, I was supposed to go to the movies with him. Uh, and they law, I said, hey, I got to watch this game. Sorry, I didn't realize it was Sunday Night Football. And so uh, so he said, we should have went to the movies uh, so your boys wouldn't have lost. And I was like, dude, I don't know if I'm going to go to this church anymore. <laughs> I get so <laughs> offended. I don't know why. And this is like, I'm. I'm like a 12 year old kid. I get very offended. There's a, if there's a way to really get under my skin. Like my buddy asked me to go. He's a Packers fan to go watch the game at his house. I'm like, I don't even want to be in it around him, you know, if he's cheering for the other team. So I'm, I'm terrible to watch a game with. It's the only thing that makes me, um, makes me really sensitive. But the last two Super Bowls, I cried. And, you know, you and I grew up, we grew up with like Montana and Rice and then Young yeah. and Rice. Like we had these, yeah. these glory years. And even and Steve so, Young, right? And Terrell Owens. Yes. Um, or Terrell yes. Owens. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so let me, let me back up. So it's interesting to me. And this is might be even a segue for our conversation is mm -hmm. we get these emotional connections that we then use our brains to justify the emotions. Mm. Right. So we, mm. we, we almost, we get a feeling and then we just do anything we can to kind of justify what we're feeling. And a pastor can become an enemy because they they triggered our buttons. I got triggered, um, and and like they're good people. I, and to be blunt, like Packer fans are some of the best. They're super cool. They and are they the are, best. They're like <laughs> they, they're, they are the I'll best. I'll throw Steeler fans <laughs> in there too. Steeler fans are awesome. They're yeah. like, hey, good game, you know. And they're not they're not bad at all. They just want to see their team win. But but then we get this emotional bump this emotional nudge and we just start going mm. negative and i mean it's mm. that's a that's a big part of what i do as a coach now so now i do executive coaching and consulting with companies around how they're executing their strategy and and it's amazing how often the root cause issue is what's going on in their head and what's going on in their heart mm. Mm. Well, when I, when I met you, you, you were this highly, like, it just like, dude, I even, there was this level of reverence that I have still have for you, man. Um, ton of respect, you know, guy travels the world. He, you know, like you're, I, why, when I picture you, when they were hyping you up and I learned about you, I'm like, this is a guy that they fly, you know, to like Australia or New Zealand or Singapore, or whatever, to go fix the problem. Like they bring in this guy and he's the only guy that can do this one thing to help turn around country. So can you tell folks a little bit about like the background? Because I'm really excited to talk about this because you were had you had a very successful career. And this, this last year, you decided to become a full-time kind of coach, consultant, entrepreneur, which is really exciting to like, Hey man, I, I could do another 10 years and get my pension, do all that kind of stuff. But you decided, man, I'm going to, I'm going to actually just go become an entrepreneur. So can you talk a little bit about what you did in the career world. Yeah. So, well, so it's, it's always, it's a journey, right? So yeah. let's go back. I started out as a school teacher and a youth pastor. Um, I mean, I, I was in, I grew up in Hawaii. I grew up in Kailua Kona on the island of Hawaii, Moko Okeave, if you want to get real technical. Um, yeah, maybe. And uh, um, I, I left when my wife and I had our first child, our son, Kainoa. Uh, was born and we were looking at, we were both both teaching and not making any money. And we're like, well, do you want to just pick up two jobs each and maybe we'll hang out on Sundays or should we look at moving? And we moved. We we prayed about it and moved to Northern California where Diana was from and um, or lived, her parents lived. And uh, I wound up going corporate, never intended to go corporate, never thought that would be my path ever. I wound up in corporate and did really well and then got him, got into a global position um, in a company called Shell, uh, Shell Oil. And then I was running 
um, support for five different businesses in North America and then mentoring Latin America. And then I was the global focal point for marketing um, development, uh, skills development and talent development um, globally. Uh, And I was living on a plane and living in hotel rooms and, you know, home on weekends. And it was just, it was unsustainable. And at that time, we then had our, our daughter as well. So um, in 07, I, I took the initial leap into the entrepreneur world. I know the entrepreneur world well, because in 07, I left and crazy stories there. I mean, you know, I had my first customer die, literally. Uh, I had somebody all lined up for a business CEO of a, of a manufacturing company in Southern California, got pancreatic cancer, gone in two months. And I'll never forget, I flew down to LA I'm sitting with the the new CEO of the company and really nice guy. And he just, he's just like, Tim, I, he was like in shell shock. His face was just drained of color. And he's going, I, I wish I could, I could engage you right now, but I, I don't even know where all the passwords are. It went so fast. We, we, we lost because the guy was the founder of the company, a wonderful, wonderful human. I was like, oh my gosh. And I was, I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to go out on my own. And I had nothing. That was my big rock. I'm like, oh, I'll transition out of corporate and I'll have, I'll have a client lined up. I had nothing with total faith journey. And it was, it's funny. I had my auntie, um, call my mom and said, I got a word for Tim. And I'm, and so my mom calls me and says, Hey, auntie Sarah, you know, had a, has a word for you. I'm like, what is this? What, what, what is it? She goes, well, it's just real simple. So I got to ask you one question. She wants me to ask you one question. I go, what's that question? Because, well, do you trust God? I said, yeah, yeah, I trust God. She goes, no, 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 no. Do you trust God? I had to pause and think about, that's a big question. And do I really, really trust? Because trust, you know, it's all in or all out. There's no middle ground. And I paused and I was like, yeah, okay. Yeah, I trust God. And then my mom said, okay, here's the word trust God. And then she hung up. She hung up on me right then. And it was, I needed to hear that. I needed to hear, trust God, put your faith Mm. outside of yourself and the, the, you know, make a really long story short. I wound up my next customer. The first customer I landed was Walmart. I got Walmart as my first customer. That's not normal, but then nothing about being an entrepreneur is normal. You never know what's going to happen. So, um, I did that for 12 years, got recruited back into Silicon Valley, did that, had a global role. And that's where you're probably talking about more, you know, three and a half years in Silicon Valley working in tech. Um, and then I, so the other part of my story that, um, is really important is in 2014, my wife, Diana got diagnosed with leukemia and, um, it was a battle for a couple of years and then went to remission and we were thought we were good. We hit the five-year mark and it was like, they say, if you get the five years of remission, you're in good wow. shape. And then it came back. And, um, after that mark. And so in 2020, Right as COVID was hitting, which was bizarre, the leukemia came back and it took her. Um, and um, so she passed in 2020. And I, I, the whole week, could, we could spend a lot of time talking about grief here on this if you want. But I, I went on a journey and, and realized, what am I doing? Why am I doing it? And where do I want to be? And I, my heart's always been, always been here in Hawaii. This is my home. Ku'uhome, as we mm. say. This is my home. Mm. And I moved back here. I, I left Silicon Valley and I moved back to Hawaii and started uh, going back to generating my own paychecks on faith again. And that's what I do now. And I love it. It's going. It's it's a delight. Um, you know, I know how to build a nine figure, excuse me, seven figure business. Nine, nine is aspirational. Mm. I know there how to go, build, baby. A, build a seven it's figure in business. There. It's in there. That was uh, in there, Tim. And yeah, and it is. <laughs> it is. Uh, and uh, so I, I know I'll do it again and maybe go for uh, eight figures. We'll see. But, but it's never about the money, right? My, my grandfather used to tell me, why do you need more than you need? And that's a big, big question to deal with. But once you have that answer that you don't need more, you know what satisfies you, you live a good life. Man, there's so, so much in there to, to you know, unpack, man. Obviously, uh, I, you know, followed the whole journey and the process of your wife, um, passing away how does how does you how do you manage like for me knowing myself i'd be pretty upset with god you know very very upset um you've you've 
helped a lot of people. I, we've connected about people you've helped on uh, about grief. It's something I would say Western world really doesn't do a great job at. We talk a lot about mental health, but we don't talk a lot about, about grief. Uh, I think we're, we're, people are talking about it, but there's not a lot of great resources for it. Like how, how did you manage to still have faith um, during all, all that process of, of grief? Like how did, how did you work through this? Who helped you? Love to learn a little bit more about that and how we can help others that are dealing with this as well. I, I will say this, a grief has definitely taken me on a faith journey. And what I believe today versus what I believed five years ago, very different. Um, and yet I'm, I'm, I'm more, I'll use the word more spiritual than I've ever been. I believe um, that love and grace are what we live off of. And when we have a deficit of love and grace, we, we don't know how to be the best version of ourselves. And so I, that, that journey has, cause you, when, when, when somebody at the hospital makes a mistake, do you go into blame mode and just become angry? And like Diana would tell me like, stop, just don't, this is, I live with these people in this hospital. I live with them. I spend more time with them than they spend with anyone else because they're my team. I don't need you blowing them up. And I, that was early in the, in the cancer journey. And I, I I'm a type A personality and then blah, 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 blah. <laughs> so, so I'm sitting there and I'm like, well, what? so I had to unlearn what I, what I thought I had to do to be quote helpful and back way off. Mm -hmm. And, and I realized that the only healthy way to live is to serve your way through stress and stress mm -hmm. is inevitable as, as an entrepreneur, it's inevitable as an employee, as, yes. an, as a parent, or a spouse or a child of a, of a parent, stress is, is it's inevitable. It's going to happen. So how we handle that stress is so critical. And so when I could reconcile stress and faith and bring those together and integrate them, then it was so much easier. And, and the fuel for getting through stress is, is having a serving mindset as opposed to a survival mindset. Because once you go into a survival mindset, you go to a part of your brain that's not as nice. Uh, it's really critical. It's negative. It shuts off the prefrontal cortex. It shuts off that creative, problem-solving, open-ended, kind of neutral mindset. And it, and, it, and it makes life even worse. And that's something that... Um, if you read anything like uh, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl, a guy went through mm -hmm. Auschwitz, for goodness sake. And that's yeah. his whole point. His whole point is like, you know, you, you can get through this stuff if you have a sense of meaning and purpose. And that's, that's the, the key to grief. I just talked to somebody uh, two days ago. Um, one of my, one of my suppliers, great guy, just mm -hmm. lost uh, a, a great grandmother who he was close with and they had some tough relationship. And um, he didn't, he knew about the, the cycle, you know, the uh, Keila Ross, you know, there's the stages of grief, but there's one that got added that she endorsed that doesn't get talked about. And it's the last stage of how do you put meaning onto things? Mm. How do you, how do you give purpose to something? Because that purpose is what will give meaning to your grief. And so that you can move forwards. And I, and I say this because what do they say? One out of nine people lost someone to COVID True. just in America right? There's a lot of unprocessed grief. And you're right. We don't know how to talk about it. We don't talk about it. We just kind of say, how long is long enough to grieve? Well, I'm like, how long are you going to love that person? Mm. And how long are they going to be gone? You may never get, quote, get over it. And that's one of the most toxic things to say to somebody who's grieving is like, when are you going to get over it? And like, you don't get over it. You just learn to live with it. And I'm in a relationship now. I'm super excited. Met a wonderful, wonderful yeah. lady. Um, and uh, I, I still think about Diana. We talk about Diana, mm. but Diana's not here, right? She's yeah. been gone for a while. So you, it's, it's, it's how you learn to live with that stuff, but translate that into how do you, how do you have meaning into what you're doing? And that's why Holy Hustle, right? That's this whole, yeah. how do you inject meaning into what you're doing so that when so things good. are stressful, things are dark, things are hard, um, you're able to find the strength you need to get through it as the best version of yourself. Because unfortunately, I know a lot of people, even pastors of churches, who mm. don't get through their stress as the best version of themselves. Yeah, and that's interesting because <clears throat> over the last several years, I mean, we've seen a lot of pastors fail. And this is not like, hey, let's kick pastors down because that's the no. cool thing to do yeah. now. Um, but, but the reality is, you know, they don't talk about it. You know, you know, it's kind of the tough thing with being a leader, not, not just a pastor, but being a leader, you're kind of expected to have it all together. Yeah. And a lot of times people get into leadership 
a lot of times people begin into becoming pastors is to, you know, a lot of, a lot of them are broken, you know, and so they want to fix the world and that's why they become a leader. And so, so a lot of pastors, a lot of leaders are, are broken. They're trying to fix something mm-hmm. uh, that they maybe lacked growing up or something that they see in, in the world. And so you see a lot of pastors that have failed morally a lot over the last several years, these celebrity type pastors and things of like that. But there's a lot of pastors that are pastors of 250 member churches that are stressing. They're working 50, 60 hours a week. They don't tell anybody they're preaching all the mm-hmm. time. There's no Sabbath. What is that? You know, the Bible talks about what is that? They're not taking Sabbath. And so, you know, what, what for someone that's going, man, I'm listening to this and going, man, I, I, you know, I, I've had some grief and I'm dealing with that. Um, and I've, and I know I've deal with that. I think I deal with that with my great, uh, with my grandmother, but, but man, I, I, I'm running on E Tim. I, mm. I got to lead a congregation this weekend, mm. man. I got to mm. lead my family where they barely see me. I got to preach to a congregation that probably doesn't even like my messages. You know, what, what advice do you have someone that maybe is like, I'm, I'm burning out, I'm stressing out. And, uh, what is their first step to kind of fix this, this thing? So there's a, there's a, a bunch of ways to answer that. Um, I, I'll start on one level. Let's just say just practical steps. Number one, get healthy first, physically healthy. Mm. If you're That's not good. sleeping, if you're not exercising and eating. I don't care. I'm look, I'm, I'm a little heavy, but goodness gracious, I've cut, I've lost a ton of weight. You have, just you have cleaned up, just clean up because if you lose your health, you do not have the capacity to do the other things. And mm-hmm. we always talk about, you know, oh, this other, no, 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 no. It's not family first. It's health first. Because mm-hmm. if I'm too sick to serve my family, I've lived that That's path. Good. I've lived that path. If I'm mm-hmm. too physically sick, or even emotionally sick to serve my family, I'm actually causing damage to the rest of my life. And so I always say, get healthy first. And then part of that includes what's going on in your head and what's going on in your heart. And so then from a more, I'll call it a leadership technique, you got to learn how to have a neutral mindset. You got to learn how to get neutral first. And we, everything's good and bad, but if you can't get neutral, you can't truly see what the problems are. You have no clarity. You're injecting all that bias. You know, it's that pastor who made a crack about your Niners and you're all upset. Uh, <laughs> it's, you know, and, and so it's, it's really about if, if I can recognize when I go dark, when I go negative, somebody I had a pastor once use a phrase. I love it. It goes, when I, I can recognize when I feel like someone's stepping on my oxygen hose mm. and you just, you're just like, well, yeah, 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 yeah. and you, you're, if you can't immediately <laughs> recover, it's not that you can't, you'll get triggered. We're human, but if you can't co- recover quickly, then everything you're about to do is going to be biased by that negative narrative in your head that you're using to justify every decision you're just about to make. So being neutral is critical. I mean, I literally have it on my desk here. I'll pull it up here. I had this yeah. printed. I don't know if you can see that where it says yep. get, get neutral first. Mm-hmm. And then I, I mean, I, I have a, a formula where I talk about confidence, acceptance, and trust because our culture, our culture, the cause of stress is usually we're afraid of failing. We're mm-hmm. afraid of rejection and, or we're afraid of risk in the unknown. Mm-hmm. And we somehow have told ourselves, especially as Americans, you know, I need to be successful. I need to be significant. I need to be in control. Those are all good things. And I'm going to say, no, they're not. Mm. What's success only sets you up to be in a battle between success and failure, success and failure. And, and you will do things that you really aren't the best version of yourself in order to avoid failure. And I'd rather you committed to confidence. Are you doing your best? Cause your best is all you can do. So Win or lose doesn't matter. You look at great, great, great athletes. They leave it all out on the field and they walk off the field and hopefully they have more wins and losses. But what makes an, an athlete phenomenal is their ability to play their best no matter the scoreboard. Same thing with, you know, significance, you know, especially you talk about uh, Christians. Goodness gracious. Everybody's trying to do mm. something to, to get extra, extra, I don't know, heaven points. I don't know. Um, <laughs> no, accept yourself. Don't worry about whether or not people think you're famous or they recognize you because no one's rejecting you. You've been accepted more than you'll Mm. ever understand already by the divine. Why would you put that acceptance into the hands of other people's opinions? Just doesn't matter. So when you can accept yourself, then you can learn to accept others, 
right? From that, from that abundance within you. And then controls a myth. I know we all want it, but you can't control the controllables. It doesn't exist. I mean, shucks, if you got a mouth, you can't control that. Right. So <laughs> if, if, if you can't control anything, then are you going to have to be uh, uh, subject to the whims of the of risk and the unknown? I say, trust the journey, trust the journey because it ends well. And if you have the faith to do that, when unknown things are happening, you don't crumble, you don't crumble. And so that's, that's the key, right? So if, if I can't be neutral, it's usually because I'm afraid of failing. I'm afraid of rejection and, or I'm afraid of the unknown. And I, I we got to deal with that right off the bat. So that would be my number one starting point for anybody who's a leader, anybody who wants to be the best version of themselves, learn how to be neutral. Then you can find the most positive outcome out of that place, out of that state, out of that situation. I love, um, it's, I think it's uh, John Wooden, uh, Wooden on leadership. He talked about, um, you know, his pyramid of success. Mm. And the fascinating thing was he, he, he said he had teams that were highly, highly talented that he didn't appreciate because they didn't give it all their effort. Um, and he said he had teams that weren't as talented, but he loved coaching them more than uh, because they gave it all that they yeah. possibly could. Um, and it was more on effort than it was actually, you know, and, and as a byproduct, you become successful according to the success standards. But that is not the aspiration. The aspiration is, man, I got to do my best that I can with the gifts I have. That's right. No matter what. That's right. Um, and, and, um, and that's, 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 I think that's really, really powerful. And so I actually work, I actually knew his freshman coach. Um, so the guy really? who was his freshman coach and, and when I would talk to Bob, he'd say, you know, um, when I recruited Lou, Lou Alcindor, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, he called him Lou because he knew him as Lou from this kid yeah, from before he changed, New York. Yeah. Um, and he said, you know, he went into his house and here's, he's meeting these parents and they're normal size. You, how tall is this kid? And then here comes, he said, here comes Lou ducking under every doorway as he walked into the kitchen wow. and he sat down at the table and his kneecaps were above the tabletop. Um, <laughs> you know, and he recruited Bill Walton as well. And I, I asked him, I said, what was, did, 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 what made Coach Wooden most angry? And it was exactly mm. what you just said. He said, whenever he saw people not doing their best. And that would, mm. that translated into his first lesson, right? You know, how to tie your shoe because he would teach people how to tie their shoe so that they wouldn't get blisters. And he would say that because if you're getting blisters, you can't play, you can't play to your best. And, and gentlemen, that's all I want from you is your best. Mm. And how many did he, was it, was it, what's the record? Is it eight in a row? Was it, oh no. What was eight it eight in a row? row? I don't know. I, it was a, he was on a tear and he had some horrible and, teams and, before then. Yeah. He, yeah, I think uh, he had 12 all together, but eight of them in a row, 12 national championships. Eight in a row, which is insane. Like yeah. what yeah. the, what the Patriots unfortunately have done over the last 20 years is, is pretty insane. Like this guy, yeah. when we say that, like, and that was over a 20 year period, he did eight in a row, which is just, yeah, just pretty, pretty remarkable. And so, how, how do you, how does somebody that's kind of working through this now, they're like, Tim, I get that. I want to work through this. What's a level of accountability that mm. is it, is it finding a mentor? Is it finding a coach? Is there a school or something that they can, cause for me, I need a level of accountability. Yeah. I need, I need someone to kind of get in my face and challenge me a little bit. Yeah. And not everybody's like that, but, but for someone, because as we know, a lot of times we make a decision, habits and behavior don't catch up always to that decision. Yeah. And so it's almost like when I first got saved, I was 18 years old, got saved, got saved, made the decision. I was still a terrible kid. Um, you know, but then it took me a long time. It's still taking time, 43 now yeah. Yeah. To, to catch up to, to the decision. And so there's people that make these decisions and then it's kind of, they go revert back to, mm. you know, getting mad, you know, getting upset, doing different things. What's the ongoing process for someone's like, I've tried this before, Tim, but I just keep reverting back to the same old me. Yeah. So there's, so let's just pause. Let's talk about this word accountability because it's so, hmm. it's so, um, there's so many definitions for what it means. When I, when leaders come to me and say, I want accountability in this organization, we need accountability. Um, mm -hmm. Or someone says, I want more personal accountability. I want to be mm -hmm. super, super clear. Accountability is not fear-based. Accountability mm -hmm. is not based on, I'm worried about a punishment 
and or I'm going to get a reward. Um, accountability is trust-based. Accountability is voluntary. I'm raising my hand and being transparent. So I say accountability requires in this order, trust, visibility, consequence, good and bad. And I have to not begin with consequence because then I, then I'll either learn to hide, you know, I have my stash of dark chocolate sitting in in my special places uh, (laughs) or, or, um, you know, I'll hide that bottle of alcohol in a special place, Mm. or I'll, I'll only, I'll only go online and do that stuff when I have private browsing Mm. mode on my other, whatever, or Mm. I'll wait till I'm on the road visiting out of town and then I'll go Mm. to the local, whatever. Um, right. So it's, it's gotta begin with trust and, and that trust, I gotta find somebody I can trust who will then trust me because I need to be treated with that way. But that, but then that opens the door to visibility. And then I need to be completely visible. I need somebody to know, Hey, what did you eat this week? What did you watch Mm. this week? Um, who did you talk to? How did you spend your time when you were alone? And how do we have visibility there? And I have to volunteer for that, but I'm comfortable doing it because I trust that person. So anybody who's gone through a 12-step program know that having someone that you can truly trust and be fully transparent with and say, I completely screwed up this last weekend, um, mm. uh, or I'm really going to struggle. I'm ready right now to walk out the door to, to go do something bad. And I wanted to call you, let you know I'm going to do that. And, and I'm hoping you'll convince me otherwise, but if you don't, I'm going. And mm. that, that lack of fear of consequence, I think is critical. I have to be willing to not deal with the consequence until after I've got the trust established and the visibility. Now consequence can come into play. Now rewards can be, a, a, have much more depth and meaning. And so can, you know, punishments, you know, like, you know, I ate that chocolate, no, you know, no candy for me. Right. You know, I've got to, or I've yeah. got to go, I've got to go, you know, walk an extra three miles. Um, shucks, mm. that, but, it, well, but that hamburger was good. It was worth every bite. Oh, so you learn how to, how to do that stuff without derailing your path because, you know, we have those cheat days as we call it. Cheat days are part of yeah. high performance. Um, but, but again, it's, it can't be fear-based because if it's fear-based, I'm back to that part of my brain that goes into survival mode and I'm injecting all this other garbage that's going to bias every single decision I'm about to make. That is so good. You know, I, I need constraints. I need accountability. Um, I, I can't, I have to cold Turkey things. I've tried dieting for years and, um, you know, on October 1st, I started a carnivore diet, did it for 10 days. A buddy came into town from Australia. I'm like, yeah, we're going to get something good to eat. Yeah. Um, and then I went up November 1st. I was like, every single day, I'm going to post a video on YouTube telling people I did. I did it all the way till December 25th. I lost uh, over 40 pounds, mm, uh, like right around 40 pounds. And then my dad came. I had, I've never met him. Right. Uh, probably need to do another podcast on that. But uh, yeah, you I did. met my dad for the first time, 40 years. And it was the most incredible thing um, was the most incredible thing to him. Um, however I ate some food and then I'm like, he was here for a week. So I just kind of ate good Persian food. He's, he's Iranian. It may, it had some amazing Persian food. Yeah. And when they left, you know, I'm like, yeah, some, you know, and so, so gained the, the, the weight, you know, some of the weight by like five, six pounds. So it was not crazy. Yeah. Um, back yeah. locked in, locked, locked in. And, and here's the thing. When I stopped, I told people on YouTube, I said, if you, if you don't see me upload, it's probably because I've cheated and I didn't upload for a couple of weeks. Yeah. And so that was the constraint for me, the level of, I trust people. And I was very raw. I was very emotional on just telling people how I felt. And it was, it was that, that you said is, is the trust that I had with people in this community that I was building. And, uh, and so that's what I needed to create a constraint. Mm. What if you don't have anyone that you feel that you could trust? Is this more about you or is it more about them? And are there other things outside of finding someone to, I guess, be there for you? And, and it's funny you talked about that. I remember about 24 years ago, I was with a buddy, Half Moon Bay, late mm. at night, doing some Bible studies, Bombfire, Half Moon Bay. This is the Bay Area where Tim lived. Uh, and so he said this thing, said, hey, we're going to have some open and broken right now. I'm like, what is that? That sounds cool. It rhymes. 
So no, open and broken is code word mm. for I got to just, I got to share my heart. I got to mm. tell you what I'm dealing with, what I'm watching, what I'm doing, what I'm thinking about. Mm. And so anytime I, I, I introduce that with people to open and broken, that's kind of like, hey, we're joking around, we're having fun, but open and broken. Okay. What, you know, like, but, but not a lot of people, Tim, maybe it's because of them, they're not willing to be vulnerable and risk um, shame or guilt, however how they feel. How do you kind of, if you don't feel like you have friends or if you're not open to talk to friends, what do you do? So hmm, this, is a, this is a tough question because I don't need anyone else to make a major transformation. I can change. Something could happen to me and I will commit to mm. making, I'll never let that happen again or I will never be mm. that person again or I, mm. I have to change who I am or I'm, my health is going to fall apart, right? Mm. Um, you can do the change on your own, but you can't be accountable on your own. Hmm. So the question is, what are you committing to? Are you committing to change or are you committing to accountability? And a lot of people like, oh, I can do this on my own. I'll change on my own. I'm good, you know. But the accountability, we're made to be in community. That's that's part of the human species. We're meant yes. to be connected to other people. So good. And that's that's a core need. That's That's as essential as breathing. And when you don't have that... I got a question, what's getting in your way? Ooh. You really don't have anyone. You can't even go to what a Alcoholics Anonymous is anonymous for. It's like, I don't know anybody to share this with. Great. Come be anonymous because everybody in the room can be transparent and you'll just learn how it works. That Why can't you find someone somewhere? And this is why professionally, I have a coach. I have a couple mm. of coaches. I, mm. I think everybody still needs a coach and I am a coach, Same. right? Same. You, you, I, I want to invite accountability in my life and I'll pay money so for good. it so because um, not my, my buddies, I've got some smart friends, but um, a lot of my buddies, they don't know what I do. They don't get what I do. That, that's not why this we're friends. Good right? We're not friends because they've walked this path that I've walked. Now, maybe they have watched me walk it and been there for me, but I, I still need to make sure that I have accountability in my life if I want to be accountable. I think that's powerful. Uh, I think that's powerful. I have a friend um, that went through a divorce several years ago mm. and I hadn't, he went dark for six months, couldn't get a hold of him. And finally we end up talking I'm like, I was like upset, like, man, you, you didn't feel like you could talk to me what happened. He's like, and he got really upset. He said, like, what did you want me to do? Tell you I was having struggle. Absolutely. I would have been there for you. I would have drove down. I would have yeah. been with you. I just want it. And, and, and I love that you said that I, we need, we need each other so much. I heard a pastor one time say, you know, sometimes God hides his voice in community, you hmm. know, of people around hmm. you to connect with you, to talk with you, to, to help you navigate certain things. And, you know, you're hearing it from an extremely successful one day, nine figure entrepreneur and coach here that, that we all need each other. Even Tim needs, I need people. Yeah. I, I run after mentorship. I run after coaching. I run after accountability because I am very self-aware. I think that's a key. One of the keys. Yeah. Very self-aware. I am awful. I am awful without community. And that's, that's just a powerful, powerful thing, Tim. Um, that's good. Man, it's so, so, so good. I'm just thinking, you know, when I listen to these, I'm like, man, this is such a good clip for YouTube, right? Here. There's so, so many clips and so much wisdom, so much wisdom here. So the, 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 the moral of the story is find someone and don't be weird. Like I'm dealing with this, 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 like, I'm like awful. I've killed people. You know what I mean? Like, just yeah. like, just like, Hey, I, I need a friend right now. I, I listen to me. I actually need a friend. Take him out to coffee connect with them, whether it's on Zoom. I love the face-to-face. -face. My pastor's been a spiritual father for me. When I, I've always looked for that and finally have had one over the last several years, and it's been such a game changer. Speaking of accountability, to your point, my friend Sean says health is wealth. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's kind of his thing. He's like, health is wealth. Like, you can't do much. So he's like taking 50 different vitamins. He runs every oh, day, and he's yeah. just a, a machine. However, day three for me on carnivore, I started to sleep good. I was waking up at 3 a.m. and go back to bed like 5.30 for an hour, oh, wow. half an hour. Brilliant. And I was sleeping so bad. It was, bro, it was so bad. About 2 or 3 o'clock, 
I'd be like pooped. I'd be so tired. The good thing is I had to pick up my girls so I'd get out, get some sunlight. Just so bad. Day three, slept through the night. And mm-hmm. since then, I've slept through the night. What ends up happening is two or three o'clock comes around. I'm ready to roll. I'm locked in. I, I haven't had a nap in a long time. Um, you know, the, the, you know, and it's just been amazing. And so I am a, I'm an advocate, high, high advocate, being a chubby guy. I'm an advocate of getting your health locked in. That is probably the first thing I would talk to a friend about. There's probably a lot of other things you need to work on, but a hundred percent, I'm such an advocate for health. And I remember seeing you in Hawaii when we had coffee, you looked good. Like you're looking good from when I first met you. Yeah. So, um, yeah. so it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. Okay. I want to switch gears here to talk a little bit about like you are a sales guru. You wrote a few books um, about it. One of them I think is up somewhere. You showed me sales chaos. Yeah. Sales um, I got it somewhere, but yeah. Sa- sales, like y- you cannot be a course creator, a coach, a consultant, you know, an agency owner. If you, if you can't sell, yeah, there's so many theories. There's so many books on sales, so many people teaching this stuff. And there's a lot of bad information out there. And you've probably seen a lot more bad information than I I know good information. Um, what what would you say the secret to sales? Now, let's say someone's like a consultant, kind of like us, coach. What are the secrets to selling your services to someone? Wow. Okay. So I'm going to go a little a little theoretical just because I, I yeah, have to think in yeah, terms yeah. of frameworks. I have to have kind of a yeah. map in my head and then, okay, we're now here and let's get mm. to the other side of the mall. Um, so let's separate sales from a couple of things. Let's separate, first of all, sales from innovation. Cause a mm. lot of companies, especially, especially pharmaceutical and tech, the innovation sells itself. So people say they're sellers, but really the innovation is just so good. Everybody wants Ozempic or whatever the version of that drug is for their company. Everybody, you know, everybody wants the hot innovation. It sells itself and they think they're amazing at sellers. I remember in the 08 um, collapse of the real estate market, how many people I knew who were real estate agents who thought before that they were amazing sellers. And then in 08, they got exposed as you were not, you were not a professional seller. The, the ones who survived okay. that were the ones who didn't got exposed and it was dark. It was really dark. I had some friends who thought they were amazing and they were like, oh my gosh. And some of them were great sellers, but they were over leveraged on the operations. They, they were spending money like crazy. So, mm. so separate your innovation from selling. If you don't, if there's no problem to solve, you have no value, right? So your innovation is anchored in solving somebody else's problem. Either everybody's got a small problem and they want you to fix it or they have a small group of people have a big problem and they'll spend money on that. Right. And so you've got to have that innovation now separate sales from marketing. Marketing is really around how you figure out what, what your path is going to be. And, and I talk about, you know, the classic four P's there's product price placement and promotions, right? Mm -hmm. So marketing isn't just how you promote. Um, and it's not the place where you, you do your business, whether it's online, virtual, uh, or face-to-face or in a shop or whatever. Um, the price, you got to figure that out. That's part of your strategy as well. Um, and then of course, um, the, the, the value itself is the product. Is it a service, et cetera? I add a fifth P and that's path. And it's, and it's, what's the buyer's Mm. path? What's the journey that they're going on? So right off the bat, when I want to diagnose whether somebody's doing a good job of selling, I go, what part of the path are you engaging that buyer? Are you Mm. showing up at the end where um, I just need them to buy something and you haven't been part of any of their research, any of their analysis, haven't helped them think through. So if, if you're actually trying to quote sell, but really selling is that whole path. So selling takes all five of those P's and says, okay, how can I yes. turn that into real conversations? And then you get into conversation, technique, skill, science, and all that, the psychology of buying and whatnot. But I always go back to where are you at in the path and are, are there gaps? So I've had, I work with clients who they may have this great innovation, really cool. They put it out there on a website, but there's nothing to nurture between the initial click on that website to see, oh, you mm-hmm. exist all the way through we have to prioritize our budget. What are we going to spend money on this year? We're deciding to go buy that as because it's part of a larger initiative and it fits into our strategy. Now we need to shortlist a different number of options. And you just go from 
from presentation on a website to let me give you a quote for a price, you've missed a huge part of that journey that you haven't nurtured. And there's people need help making great decisions. And so if you're a professional Mm. seller, you're a professional server. You're if you're not serving, you're not selling. So my goal is to come in and serve people throughout that journey so that when they are ready, like, you know, Alejandro, I love it. I'm, I'm in on what you're selling. I love it. I, I'm a little worried about the price. Can you talk to me about, you know, well, let's have that conversation, but I've nurtured you to the point where you understand the value that I'm offering. You understand the potential ROI. Is it really about price or is it just about timing? Cause maybe it's not the right time for you. Let's let's because the price isn't going to change because the value is so strong. The ROI is so strong that let's wait a couple months. But let me now sales person, I'll keep engaged with you. And I'm not going to just shine you on because you didn't buy my stuff. I want to serve you. Mm-hmm. And six months from now, you may be in a better position. Now you're ready to make that investment and say, I will buy now. But I didn't walk away and ignore you. I maintained mm-hmm. a community where I just stayed part of your journey. So good. So good. When when most people think sales and when they're probably on YouTube searching for stuff, they're looking for like Jordan Balfort, Wolf of Wall Street. Give me the sales script so I can close people. Yeah. The problem with that whole model, Tim, is your refund rates and chargebacks are probably through the roof yeah. because you've had to twist someone's arm to get them to buy something. And what Tim is saying is you got to build some relationship with them. You got to nurture them. You got to most importantly serve them well. And you're like, well, how do I serve them? You got to ask some questions and and find out what their biggest pain points are right now. Not the pain points 12 months from now or 12 years from now, but what do they have right this moment and that's serving like how i think of i think of jesus like you know it's like oh you're thirsty you know you know what i mean like i remember bro i remember i'm just tangent i remember when i went to bible school and people were like hey we're gonna go pass out tracks i thought it was the dumbest thing ever tim it's like why would you pass out tracks it sounds hey jesus loves you that's literally hey jesus loves you just and and look i need to retract a little bit getting a little excited Maybe that serves a purpose. So me and a few of my friends, we went to take toothbrushes and toothpaste to, you know, homeless people in Sacramento, California. And and we talked with them and we spent time with them. We learned about how they got to that, that point. Why? They wanted toothbrushes. They didn't need someone to tell me Jesus loves them. And so I think a lot like that when it comes to sales. I'm serving these people in 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 in, in the ministry, but man, I'm I'm actually serving. Like, what is your pain point? And I've actually had Tim where I've talked to people about, man, my wife just left me, or and and that's what they need at that moment versus no heart. I'm just going to close you so I can make some money because it serves me well versus I'm going to find out if this is even a good fit for you. And if it, if I sell you hard, which I don't mind doing, it's going to serve you because you need it right now. Why do you think so people are obsessed with like this closer style of sales versus the unsexy part of serving and nurturing? I, I think it goes back to those core drives. Are you trying to be successful, significant, and in control? Or are you mm. trying to be confident, ex- accepting, and trusting, right? So what's That's the good. game that you're playing? Do you need, what's do you need those numbers? Do you need those numbers to justify your value to yourself? Mm. Do you need those results to make you feel like you're, you're doing a good job? Yeah. Because true. doing a good job may or may not give you the result you're looking for. Hmm. doing it. I, I, I'll go back to a sport example, but I remember, and, and I'm not a Dallas Cowboys fan, but I have tremendous respect for the turnaround. They, they went one in 15, one year, the next year, hmm. five and 11, uh, or five and 10. Um, and then, or no five and 11, the next year, nine and whatever, but they, they had four wins improvement year over year. And then they won the Super Bowl. This nineties. This is the 90s Cowboys with Troy Aikman. This is when they traded when they traded Herschel Walker. 
Yes. Which everyone, right around that, yeah. that time frame, which at the time, if you're not a sports fan, like Herschel was like probably the greatest athlete ever yeah. in the yeah. history of mankind. You know, like guy's just a beast, right? Yeah. They traded, everyone thought they were crazy. And with all those picks, it was um, Jim Johnson. They got Emmett Smith and Troy. They got some really good picks. Yeah. And they became the dynasty in the 90s as a result they of that. They were really good. And, and, so, so doing the right thing will mm. eventually give you the right result. So there's a level of mm. patience that you have to sit with as That's a good. business owner. And I'm not going to get commission breath, right? You know, I'm not going to be all in your face, <laughs> heavy breathing, <laughs> trying to get my commission because, that's you know, so I need, I need it. Right. But that's, but that's often fear-based, right? So I, again, I'm already mm. fear-based and it just never works. What people, people don't like to be sold to, right? They like to buy, but they like to buy when they have yes. confidence behind it. So there's, so, so mm. let's, let's go one level below this. So my number one goal is to build your confidence that you're making the right decision. Mm. When I'm selling, I want your confidence because if your confidence is low, it won't, I won't sell. You, you won't make it, you'll stay status quo. You just do with what you've always done because you don't have any confidence to change what you've done. But I have four things I can do. And this is research we did book. One of the books I did was world-class selling. We did research we did with, literally around the globe with a ton of high-end companies said, what do your top sellers have? They had four qualities. Um, and I'll just paraphrase it. Number one, they knew how to have credibility. Every great seller has good credibility. You know how to show up on time. You know how to be ethical in your uh, communications and decisions. You know how to use technology. You're not, you know, you're, you're, you're able to be very credible in just to, you know, be a quote professional, we used to say. Mm. Um, from that, because you have to have that first. From that, there's three other things I need to add. I need to add influencing skills. How can I influence you? How can I present stuff in a way so, so that I can, I can help you by getting other things done through other people. And that influence not only transcends to my relationship with the customers, but also within my own team. The, 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 the next thing is insight. Do I know how to generate insight? Not just questioning skills. It's not a script. It's how do I get beyond the obvious? How do I observe things? How do I think about things? How do I ask those questions so that I can see beyond the obvious? And then more importantly, I can get you as the customer to see beyond the obvious. And I need to have as much, if not more insight than you do. So you go, oh, A, you're super credible. And B, you're helping my confidence level go up. And then the last thing is so critical is how I execute. Do I follow through on what I said I would do? Do I That's make good. sure stuff gets done? If something goes wrong, how quickly do I fix it? Because stuff will go wrong. How quickly do I make sure that what was promised is what was deliv delivered? And, do, and then do I follow through on all of that stuff? And if I do those four things, I promise you, negotiations will be easier. Prospecting will be easier. Uh, demonstrations will be easier. Um, uh, uh, customer business reviews will be easier because I have those four habits already in place. But if I'm not doing those four things, Things, there is no magic script. There is no magic negotiation technique. There is no magic closing. None of that stuff works without those four things in place because I use those four summary point to make you confident you're making the right choice. And I love uh, it's Richard Sherman, former Seahawk, you know, recently a Niner. Uh, he, you know, he says confidence is a prerequisite you know, having, having that, that confidence. And one question I have when it comes to confidence though, is to me, clarity, there's a level of clarity that for me brings confidence. Where does clarity play in the role? Like I got to shoot, I got to go somewhere. Yeah. I got to, I got to be clear because clarity, um, I want to be confident when I'm doing, but I don't know where I'm going. How, how much does clarity play a role in those, in, in, in the confidence, um, having confidence. It's big, right? So, so the, the, the clarity piece, I need to make sure you're clear on what you're trying to achieve, but I also need to make sure you're clear on what the problem is. Why are hmm. we pursuing an outcome if we're not clear on what the problem is? And that happens a lot, especially more complex selling. But if I walk in, let's just make it really, really calm. Everybody knows I'm going in to buy a car. Yeah. yeah. 
technically all I need is get from A to B, but I actually am looking for some status or I'm looking for some reliability. I don't want to buy something that's going to cost a lot of money every time I bring it in, whatever those things, or, you know, um, there's a time in my life I need to make sure I had little, little video screens on the back of uh, the headrests of the driver's car uh, driver in front seat so that my kids could watch stuff and be quiet while we drove on long trips. Um, whatever my definition of the problem is, I need clarity on that. And a lot of buyers don't have that. They're overwhelmed with information. There's too much. They don't specific, like I, I you want to lose weight. Why? Mm. I just know I need to. Well, is it body issues? Is it heart issues? Is it, do you have, are you pre-diabetic? What's, what's, why do you have to lose weight? Well, I've got a reunion coming up and I want to look good, right? Mm. Oh, okay. Well, let's talk about that, right? So now, now we can talk about what the solution could be. And the solution may be health services, but it could also be fashion consulting. You know what? You're never, you've never <laughs> been a small person, but we're going to make you look sharp. We're going to make you look really good because you want to walk in that room and you want people to go, wow, there's something about you that's awesome. And it's not because you're skinny. It's because you look good, right? Or whatever, whatever. The, so that whole idea of getting people to be clear on the problem, clear on the solution requires they got to get neutral first. So can you help mm. them? Because if the actual outcome is they just trying to be successful, significant, or in control, that's a much tougher sales cycle. Now, you may be selling to that. Good for you. It's not what I do. I actually want people to be the best version of themselves. When I help a company, it says on my tagline, I want to help organizations be the best versions of themselves. That's why we do what we do over here at Kupu Solutions. Man, this is this is just fire. And I, I love, uh, and I hope I don't butcher it, to, to have confidence, it is... Um, it's credibility, influence, insight, and execution. The interesting thing as you were talking about that, not only is that a great framework and formula for getting clients, as important, it is a great to, way to keep and retain 100%. existing clients that you 100%. can have. Yeah. yeah, right? It's the execution. And as, as we wrap up, I, I want to hear you, you have this idea and concept framework called strategic execution. And so when you talk about this, I'm just like, Holy cow, I'm getting like an MBA in sales here. Can you talk a little bit about why strategic execution? What is, what is it and how it can help folks that are trying to grow their businesses? Yeah, so I have so many conversations with leaders. I mean, all the time. And they're frustrated with how they're executing, either how they themselves are executing or how their team is executing their strategy. And when I ask them, so, so how, do you, how do you teach strategic execution? The most common answer I get is a trial and error. We just figured it out. There's, there's, we just, I don't know. We just figured it out or, or B they're not, they're not, they're just hiring quote good people and they'll figure it out. And we just hope that they do it. And then of course they're in their back, but is it working? No. So I know somebody's eventually going to get fired and it might even be the person I'm talking with. So when you dive into this topic of strategic execution, there's a ton of stuff ton of stuff around strategic, strategic planning, strategic thinking, it's mm. out there. But when you actually get into strategic execution and you actually go into uh, like Amazon, the, the strategic or strategy word reduces the hits, reduces over 95%. You get a much, much smaller uh, hit around this concept of execution because people aren't talking about it. So let me now mm. define it. Strategic execution is how we make decisions to execute the strategy. It is not the plan. And too many people say, oh, we have a plan, we have Gantt charts on project management. Project management is not execution. It's a way of organizing the strategy. You can hand it over to other people. But the number one reason that we fail to execute our strategies is poor decision-making. So my model is I teach people how to make great decisions in that order so that they're executing that strategy. And a number one uh, obstacle that has to be addressed is the lack of clarity. People don't know the scope of the strategy. The um, They're not clear on goals and roles, and they're certainly not clear on priorities. And we've got to lock that stuff down. And if we can lock down clarity, then we can now work on immediately how we're making sure we're empowering people. And if, and if people aren't empowered to meet an expectation that you've made super, super clear, you're being a bad leader. It's demotivating to people to be told to do something they can't do. So why do I do this? Because I deal with sellers a lot, but not just sellers. I deal with anybody. Um, 
uh, they're struggling to get their execution on track and sellers are frustrated because they can't hit their numbers because they're not being empowered because the company is not clear on what the priorities are and what the goals and the roles are and all the other stuff. So you do those two things, you begin to immediately unlock the rest of the model. And the rest of the model, I'll just go quickly, is after clarity and empowerment, you have got to address the lack of engagement. People have to believe mm. it's the right thing for them and the company, not just the right thing for the company. And they have to put in that extra effort to figure stuff out when there is a gap in the empowerment, but that's going to happen. But they, they know how to fill that with human energy. Then fourth, accountability. Mm. If there's a lack of accountability, I cannot generate it without clarity, empowerment, and engagement established first. And then lastly, culture. The culture just mm. doesn't make it work. The culture just doesn't fit. The culture just gets in the way. Um, we've been talking about churches. A lot of churches that have cultures that won't allow a new strategy. And mm. so how do you start changing that? Because it is a wheel. The culture does become the energy yeah. for what you can make clear or not. Start with generating clarity around small wins. Get some stuff moving. Get some shift happening. Get that clarity, use that clarity to really drive way better empowerment. You'd be shocked at how much waste is out there in every business because they're empowering things that aren't on priority. They're taking resources away for something that shouldn't be a priority um, and uh, or they're taking stuff that should be a priority and putting it with things that should, shouldn't be. And then you watch your engagement rise, then your accountability. People will voluntarily rate what we talked about. They'll be more visible. There's a trust that's developing within the team. That energy starts transforming into something that will shift that culture. And that culture will say, you know what? We've never done it like this way before, but let's do it. We believe it. We've seen, we've seen the momentum we're in. So that's the whole strategic execution thing in a nutshell. And if you want to know more, there's a podcast, How to Not Execute Your Strategy. Find it on Spotify, mm -hmm. Apple, Amazon, whatever. Uh, don't just type in Tim Ohi because you'll get me as a guest on a lot of other podcasts as well, but look for How to <laughs> Not Execute Your Strategy with Tim Ohi. And I, I talk to CEOs and other leaders about two things. Tell me about a time your strategy didn't go as planned. What'd you learn? So we're, we're diving mm. into their failures and mm. what they learn from it. And then what are two or three attributes everybody in the organization should have? And you're going to get their best practices at the same time. Bro, I love it. And we'll drop those links as well as where to connect with you in the show notes as well. Tim, what are you most proud of yourself? Like, what are you most proud of that you've done, that you've accomplished that's that's happened. Like when you just look at it, it's maybe hard to say or what have you, but what are you most proud of? I keep getting better. There's a mm. wonderful Greek word concept teleos, right? Mm. It's that, that sense of, um, of being the best version of yourself, being what mm. you were meant to be. Um, transparently, I just had a wonderful conversation with my son last weekend, who's um, in his early twenties. And, and he said, dad, I want you to know you're my friend. Mm. I love you. Mm. And um, there was a time in our relationship that wasn't there. And he even said, you know, when I, he goes, Joey, he's such a smart aleck. He goes, you know, I want you to know I love you. And, and I really mean it. There was a time I didn't. Wow. There was a time I didn't. And that, that, that's what I'm most proud of. I'm most proud of that I can have the self-awareness to work on myself mm and be the best version of myself that I can redeem the jerk that I was when cancer first hit our family and all the other stuff that we've mm -hmm. gone through. And then of course, you know, when Diana died, no, no, you don't have a playbook for this. You don't have instructions or how yeah. do you become a widower and a single dad in one, one breath. Right. Yeah. Um, that's what I'm most proud of. Man. Yeah, when it comes to family, bro, that's where you get me. Get me with kids. You'll always, you always get me. This is that's beautiful. This is, man, it's a masterclass on leadership and sales, and um, yeah, getting better every single day. It just inspires me. How how can I, you know, how can I get like one percent better every single day? Uh, that stacks, that compounds, and uh, I love, I love that. Um, one question, follow up on that. Um, What, what advice do you have for, for parents that, you know, I've got 14 and 15 year old 
that's the age it's like you know start seeing everything now and everything's kind of you know working against a lot of the core beliefs and values that you try to instill like what advice do you have for for parents that maybe you look back and i I wish i would have done this differently Hmm. um if i were to reduce it to a simple statement i would say this you're not god Hmm. quit trying to be god trust the journey Hmm. Your journey's worked out. Let God work on theirs. Trust the journey. That's Take so your cool. hands off and become someone who serves them, who inspires confidence, acceptance, and trust. Because if you're only worried about, are they going to fail? Are they going to be rejected? Are they going to, you know, have a, are they inviting and generating risk? Um, you're not neutral. You're in a dark place and you cannot parent from there. Yeah, that's so good. You know, I, it, for me, you know, where I grew up, you, you know, you just like, you think you, you got to protect them. Right. And so that's like early on, that's how I was. And I've had to relinquish talking to mentors and friends. And that is, that is so, so good confidence, acceptance, and trust in the seventies. They used to say, they used, you, you, ever, you remember, uh, they used to call him cat daddy, yeah. cat daddy, <laughs> confidence, except for, I have, I have one client. Cat. He says, cat. he says, Tim, I wrote it on my computer. Think like a cat. Um, and that's how yeah, he remembers it, is, it. That is so good. Yeah. Well, cat daddy. Um, last question for you is what is, what is your definition of, um, of the Holy hustle? Uh, it's using your work as a service to everyone. Your, your mm-hmm. work is your ministry. And if you're not serving, what are you doing? So I, I don't care if, whether it's, I, I've been a church employee and I've been a secular employee and I've been everything in between. And, you know, God doesn't care about our paychecks. He doesn't care about our bonuses. He doesn't care about our financial. He cares about who we are and how we live that out. And a God of love and a God of grace is more um, motivated by us showing love and grace to others than by anything else. Drop the mic. Drop the mic. Tim, I love you, man. This has been uh, so amazing. Uh, I, I love you, bro. That You're such a, this is just inspiring. I know we get the chance to hang out a ton these days and just so grateful for who you are. Um, grateful that, you know, you didn't let that thing completely take you out for good. You know, the situation with your wife and, you know, the ability to still inspire and um, with the passion, with urgency, with care uh, to serve people, man. So I'm blessed and I'm, I'm grateful for you. And for those that are watching, make sure to uh, connect with Tim. I'll put his LinkedIn, Instagram, I'll put his website, put the podcast cl- uh, links below and uh, make sure and my to link tree. check him My out. link tree is the easiest one. And Just go, to my, go to my link tree and then it's all there it's all there. We'll go to the link tree. So we'll drop it right below the link tree for you to connect with all that. Tim, love you, bro. Appreciate you. And uh, thanks so much for watching y'all. We'll see you.